Hey folks, whether you're a regular listener or it's your first episode, thank you for tuning in. As always, make sure you are subscribed so that you never miss an episode. Digging for Kryptonite is available on all major podcast platforms. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to leave a rating and review. It really does help others find the show and become part of our community. I appreciate it. And now, before we dive into this week's installment, which I hope you enjoy, here's a word about our sponsors. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In The Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, ticketing information, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. A tattered red cape blowing in the wind, a black and white costume and sense of justice, a red-blue blur, a black-suited first flight for the second time. This is some of the iconography of my Superman fandom. Together, on this podcast, we take a long view across time and media as we re-examine and discover the stories that have defined the Man of Steel and the larger DC universe. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me for Superman, the animated series Mixtapes, Volume 3, returning guest, Jeremy Frutkin. Welcome back. Anthony, it might have been said before, but now more than ever, it bears me asking you this question again. Are you feeling a little brave and a little bold? (laughs) Good man, and perfectly appropriate because this episode, we are talking about a collection of episodes from Superman the Animated Series, plus one from Batman, uh, dealing with the uh, various DCU team-ups that we got between Superman and other members of the, uh, the DC Pantheon. Listen, before I before I rattle off the episodes we're going to be discussing and 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 really get into this, uh, I want to congratulate you on your move. Uh, in between episodes two and three of our five-part event, you and your family moved from South Carolina to New York. No small feat. You have a small child. It's a pandemic is still going on. You're crossing state lines. Yep. And I just on behalf of myself and the audience, I want to thank you for keeping this appointment. I did give you multiple outs, but you you were adamant that you were like, I want to do this. And uh, you've had so much going on. And I really want to thank you for doing this and congratulate you on your move. Oh, Anthony, thank you so much. And, um, you know, not only as a as a work friend, but also as a friend friend, you know, just your your check ins and, you know, just talking to me and seeing how things are going really means a lot to me. So both uh, on air and off, your friendship means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I, for those of you who are, might be watching this video, I'm uh, coming into you live from my phone. A bunch of my equipment actually got damaged in the move. Um, and Anthony and I, Anthony and I, a little inside baseball, we actually just tried to troubleshoot and kind of get things working. And this is the best we could do. And uh, the show goes on, as we like to say. And I actually said this to you off air, so to speak, but longtime viewers of the show and listeners will know that I've talked to you from a variety of different locations, from hotel rooms, from other houses in South Carolina, now from where I'm uh, coming to you from New York on a variety of different equipment. And if that tells you nothing, it 
it should tell you that I'm here because I love being here. I love talking Superman and DC and just greater comic books with you. And I love the community that we have here and all the feedback I see on Twitter, on the Flat Squirrel Facebook page. And uh, it's just such a wonderful universe that you've created to, to have us be a part of. So I will always do everything in my power to be a part of it. Well, that's very kind. I appreciate that. And I guess a couple of a couple of, of quick follow-ups. One, you know, you mentioned that you've done episodes with me from various places. One of them was from a hotel, I believe, when you were working on uh, the Manscaped commercial that you did. Live from Greenville, South Carolina is what I wanted to name that episode. He wouldn't let me, folks, but you know. Well, if I'm not mistaken, that was the episode that became How Superman Inspired Me, right? That was the one. And I'm very happy to announce for the first time on the show that episode won an award. It won a Siegel & Schuster Award of Excellence, uh, which was an award ceremony conducted by the Daily Planet website. And it was voted on by the public, by you, potentially, if you're listening to this or watching this. And I, you know, it it happened kind of quickly. It's so quickly, in fact, that I didn't have an opportunity to even talk about it on one of these episodes. But, you know, I posted about it on social media and... Uh, I'm I'm just so honored and I'm, I'm so grateful to everyone who voted and, uh, you know, to you, Jeremy, for obviously being, you know, part of that episode with me, but also for encouraging me to do it. You know, that was the episode that was all about how a scene from the Superman and Lois pilot, when Clark is talking to his son about how Pa Kent didn't always have all the answers, but he was there, in no small part motivated me to make a change at work. And if people want the full story, they can go, you know, listen to or watch that episode, uh, but the fact that that resonated with even just a few people really means the world to me. And so thank you to everyone who voted and, and thank you, Jeremy. And thank you to the Daily Planet website for even, you know, creating this opportunity. Uh, it's 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 really very, very cool. And I'm honored. We're an award winning duo and I'm coming to you uh, on the first episode for that. I'm coming to you for my cell phone. So how the mighty have fallen. And uh, but in, in, in all seriousness, of course, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to you, Anthony. Thank you to the wonderful Digging for Kryptonite community that we have here. Thank you, Daily Planet. You guys have been awesome. And to all the other podcasts that I've been getting to know just a little bit on Twitter, it's been so cool, this kind of sense of a a larger community and larger world that we're kind of growing here with all these other Superman-centric podcasts that I think is so cool. So, uh, you know, I love podcasts obviously, as much as I I love Superman and DC and comic books, we all do. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you love podcasts in general too. And this is the very first time in my life that I've ever been a part of anything that's ever won any kind of award in a podcast. So in all sincerity, it is extremely special to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. One of the nice benefits of it is that, you know, there are people in my life who, who might not really know what all of this is about this this podcasting thing that Anthony does. So it's nice that now I can say I won an award. So even if they're still not entirely sure, you know, my I can't even say my mother because my she I think she gets it and she was on an episode of my other show, My Comic Shop History. So I think yep. she has a pretty good she has a pretty good sense. But you know, my mother in law or, or you know or other other people, it's like now I guess it's an award. It's an award winning. But we, we we won for uh, best multimedia story, uh, which was yes. very cool and. Uh, you know, we were nominated for a, f- a few different awards and honestly, it really was, it really was an honor to be uh, included with such great company and, and kind of, you know, building off of what you said, being part of this community of fellow Superman podcasts and podcasters has been truly one of the unexpected 
highlights of this process. And I've said this before in other episodes, but you know, when I started this, I didn't one one of the roadblocks, and thankfully it was not it was not anything that really held me back. But one of the roadblocks was you know, there's so many Superman podcasts, right? Um, but it's just been such a welcoming community, and it's been so cool. And on that note, you know, I don't want to put too much pressure on you, Jeremy, but in both of our, our episodes so far of Superman, the animated series mixtapes, you've gotten a very nice shout out from the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast. It's host, uh, Zach Moore. Uh, after the first episode, he uh, echoed your sentiment about Brainiac being That's Superman's right. arch nemesis on the animated series. And he further backed you up after volume two came out, our second episode, uh, with your take on Metallo and how this is the definitive version of the villain Metallo. So, I mean, again, no pressure, but I feel like, you know, we got to, we got to go for the hat trick here. Yeah. I mean, again, shout out to always hold on to Smallville. That's awesome. I've enjoyed our little talks and interaction. I hope we all get to talk more and don't worry. I'm coming in with some more hot takes for this episode as well, too. I've got some, uh, some, some interesting insight. I hope to keep this streak alive. We shall see though. We shall see. And then finally, one, one more bit of business related actually to always hold on to Smallville. So for the most part, I tend to record these episodes in order, but occasionally I will record out of order. And I have recorded an upcoming episode with Zach, the host of uh, always hold on to Smallville. And it's an episode about our Smallville wish lists, things that we wish the decade long television show Smallville had or had not done. And you know, we've talked on the show before about the length of some of these episodes. As, as Zach and I were uh, approaching, I think it was like the hour and 45 minute mark, I said to him, and it's, it's, on, it's in the show, you know, people can hear when it comes out. I was like, you know, we can just kind of do a, like a quick lightning round with the remaining items on our list, you know, if you want, and just kind of wrap this up. Because, you know, I always try to be mindful of, of people's time. And to bless his heart, he was like, I blocked out my night for this. Let's keep going. And, and we did. <laughs> I love it. That conversation <laughs> sounds very familiar to me, and I, I love it. That's awesome. That is fantastic. I'm excited for people to hear it. It's one of those episodes where, you know, I think even if you're not a Smallville fan, we really had a fun conversation, and we tried to put everything in context, so I think people would still get something out of it. But if you're a Smallville fan, whether you're a casual fan or a hardcore fan, I really, really think this is an episode you're going to enjoy. So that's coming uh, mid-February, and I really people, I really hope people tune in for that. Uh, we had, it was so much fun uh, to record. Uh, so my thanks to Zach, and, and again, that'll be out uh, in mid-February, but that's coming. Mid-February, I'm excited. Can't wait to listen. All right. Here we are at the midpoint of the uh, animated series mixtapes that we've been doing. Uh, again, each episode, you know, we're, we're, selecting episodes from Superman the Animated Series that all sort of revolve around a particular um, element or theme or, um, or, or, or character. And so for this one, our theme is DCU team-ups. So let me uh, give a quick rundown of the episodes from Superman the Animated Series we'll be talking about uh, uh, for, for this installment. So we'll be discussing the three-part World's Finest, which of course um, feature the first meeting of Superman and Batman in the DC animated universe. Uh, nighttime, when uh, Batman goes missing and Superman has to impersonate Batman and get to the bottom of the mystery. The Demon Reborn, Batman and Superman versus Ra's al Ghul, or Ra's al Ghul, depending on your pronunciation. 
I did throw in one episode from Batman, the animated series, Girls' Night Out, uh, where Supergirl and Batgirl team up against Harley, Ivy, and Livewire. So those are the Bat-centric episodes. Uh, And then looking at the wider DCU, we have Speed Demons, introducing Flash, Hands of Fate, introducing Dr. Fate, and you and I have wildly different takes on that episode, so I'm really excited. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) Cannot wait. In Brightest Day, introducing... A version of Green Lantern is the nicest thing I can say. <laughs> I, I have questions. I have questions. I have I have some hot takes on that episode, too. A fish story uh, introducing Aquaman to the world of the show. And then uh, a pair of episodes that I suspect, knowing both of us, uh, will be uh, will have a lot to say and, and will probably be a, a, a favorite. Uh, prototype and Heavy Metal introducing uh, John Henry Irons, first in his civilian identity, and then in the second episode as Steel. So uh, that's a dozen episodes. We got a lot to talk about. Let me. The first question I have for you, just a preliminary question: Did you watch? Like, was again? You and I are are, are the same age, um, so we pr- might have a similar experience with this. But was Super Friends in any of its various iterations? Was that at all a thing for you when you were a kid? So the short answer is no. But I did when I was a teenager go back and watch a bunch of them. So it's not like they. I grew up watching them. That would be a cheat for me to say. But once I was kind of already interested in DC and in animation, I did go back and see a bunch of uh, the Super Friend animated, animated shows. I mean, it's um, it's such an iconic part of DC history and DC animation history. It's one of those things that uh that kind of transcends even just quote unquote comic books, right? For a long time, even now to an extent, I think it's in the the pop culture zeitgeist almost for uh for that show yeah no very very true um i i mean i guess my experience is not entirely dissimilar although i've not yet had uh the experience of you know like really diving in and i will likely do that at some point in the future on this podcast but you know as a kid i definitely remember watching episodes from time to time i guess they Mm -hmm. were on cartoon network at at some point that's that sounds right to me. Yeah. So I definitely have memories of watching Super Friends as a kid, but it just wasn't a big thing for me. It was not a formative, you know, part of my Superman fan journey. I know, you know, for fans of a certain age, that was that was everything, and I totally get that. I sure, don't sure. I don't have that same frame of reference. And 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 so I bring that up because, you know, that had existed, but outside of that, you to my knowledge, right? you really didn't have instances of these characters interacting outside of the pages of the comic. You did have super friends, but again, for us as kids, that wasn't a big thing. These days, you know, we've we've now seen the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited cartoons, the Young Justice cartoon. We got we got a proper Justice League movie on HBO Max only. That's the only mm-hmm. place we got a proper Justice League movie, but we got it. Uh, you know, I like the dick. I like the dick. We, you know, we <laughs> got it. Got always got that in. Uh, I was ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'll say. And uh, and and you know, on television, my goodness, you know, we've had you know the Arrowverse flawed, yes. flawed and all, but it's given us you know all of these all of these characters coming together on screen. They and, gave us Kevin Conroy back as Batman, so at the very least, we should not a cap for that related to what we're speaking about here today. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, but, you know, I say all of that to say that, you know, now we've gotten used to seeing these characters on screen together. We've gotten used to seeing the multiverse on screen. It's 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 kind of crazy as an adult to get to see all of this stuff that as a kid, 
you know, I didn't really know was even within the realm of possibility. And again, I say all of this to say that when these team up episodes first happened on Superman, the animated series, I mean, I just, I don't know what your memory is, but I remember feeling like, whoa, like this is a big deal. Yeah. They're events. They were huge events. I was like, whoa, you're really seeing these worlds colliding because you're right. Because, you know, in the comics, of course, at that time, you know, we've, we've been seeing, you know, the, the, of course, the Justice League and team ops and the little Brave and the Bold joke I even made at the top of this, this show for sure. But it really, I mean, up until that point for people of a certain age who were, I think, maybe too young to really have that formative experience with Super Friends, but just young enough. That when this show hit, this was kind of like our formative animated experience with Superman and the larger DC universe. This really was the first time kind of off the page, off the comic book page, that these characters were getting together, interacting, coming to life. And I know that it must have been formative for me just because when I first looked at this list of episodes, I'm not going to lie to you and say I remembered everything bit by bit by bit, every detail, but I at least had, I could remember bits and pieces, or at least the structure for a good majority of those episodes, just looking at the list that you presented. Yeah, uh, same here. And what I've come to realize now that we've, we've done a few of these episodes here, I think that towards the end of the show's run, because I know I previously said I watched, you know, uh, Saturday mornings and weekday afternoons and I, and I did, but I think at a certain point, maybe even before the show ended, that kind of stopped for me. And, but I have seen all the episodes. Cause like I said, I did, you know, uh, buy them on DVD when they came out years later and I watched them, but the later episodes, I might've only seen once when I did that DVD binge. So like the earlier shows in from Superman, the animated series, those are like kind of seared into my brain. But some of the later ones, like a fish story with Aquaman, you know, it, it was as if I was watching that with with fresh eyes this time, because I think I probably only saw it once, whereas Speed Demons I've seen multiple times. So that one was far more familiar to me. Speed Demons was, I think, maybe the most familiar one, even off that list. I, I'm in agreement there. Maybe you just blocked a fish story out because it wasn't that good. We're split on yet another one because I actually quite oh, like. I'm coming in. I'm, I'm coming in with the heavy hitters already, man. I'm ready. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I know I, when I when I gave the order of episodes, I listed all the Batman stuff first, but I think mm-hmm. we can. I think we can kind of jump around. And actually, if we're going in in terms of air date, Speed Demons was the first one yes. that came. So the Flash was the first outside character who was introduced to the world of this show. And well, before I get, what was your take on, on speed demons? So here's, here's the, here's the interesting thing. I try to look at every single episode we watch and through every medium and everything we watch or we read, I try to approach it with completely fresh eyes. I try to recognize that so much of what we do just in general here on the show is so nostalgia based, right? It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's our passion. It's why we love talking about Superman and DC Comics and the animation and et cetera, et cetera. But I try to look at things also objectively right now. And actually on that podcast, What Superman Means to Me, I think I talked about how much I love Wally West and I love a later episode of Justice League, right? That That is uh, centric around him. I love that episode. That's one of my favorite episodes of animation in general, full stop. That being said, I don't think this episode was very good. Wait, I don't mean to interrupt you, but just f- for uh, 
for longtime listeners, and, and honestly, this might have even been a Patreon uh, thing where this came up, so most listeners might not even be familiar with this, but uh, sure. our listener and guest, former guest and future guest, Justin DeVoe, noticed that when I am about to uh, articulate a, a potentially negative opinion, I will preface it with that being said, and it's one of those things where, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of us, we, we're not always aware of our tics. But sure. <laughs> I'm sure for people who are listening, it's, it's you know, they're clearly, uh, you know, uh, we're going to have what we're going to have T-shirts made that said that being said. I think dot, so. Dot, dot. So I love that you did that as well. And uh, it's funny because since Justin said that I've <laughs> every now and then like I'll either I'll really lean into it or I'll try to use other words. But the spirit is still the same. But in, in any event, we've been spending we've been spending a lot of time together, Anthony. <laughs> we've been spending a lot of time together. <laughs> That's great. When That's he said great. that to me, and I think that was, I think that was a Patreon episode where we talked about Superman, the Man of Tomorrow, the recent, relatively recent mm -hmm. animated movie, and uh, I laughed so hard when he said that because it wasn't anything that I was conscious of. But when he said it, I said, "Oh, yeah, I definitely do that." <laughs> I stole your catchphrase. Hey, it works. So you were not a huge fan of of this episode, even though you like the DC animated universe presentation of flash in justice league and justice league unlimited. Love it. I love Wally West. Wally West is my favorite fictional flash. I love Wally. Love, love, love. I like that. This episode set it up with kind of that classic, almost golden age. Who's faster. That was a nice, like, you know, callback. They're going to have the race. It was cute. There was nothing here. There was nothing here of any, I thought, meaningful substance, and that's what I look for through my critical lens. And I guess that's a good way for me to lean into what my my big kind of sweeping take for these episodes, uh, if I may, just to put it out front, is what I gleaned and my favorite part of all these episodes, all these team-up episodes were, is that we see that Superman's greatest power isn't his strength, isn't flight, it isn't heat vision, it's his ability to inspire and motivate others. And that I thought was so powerful. And in my favorite episodes, that really rings true and becomes kind of a central theme across a bunch of the episodes that I thought were standouts. Here, I felt like the plot was the Flash is here. He's kind of a jerk, but he still kind of helps saves the day. And okay, they make some jokes at the end and everybody goes on their way. There wasn't that kind of deeper connection that I look for. And, you know, a lot of times in these shows, it's just a few lines that make it right. A few little lines that put this beautiful bow on everything. And it just didn't get there for me in this episode. I, I agree a hundred percent. I had the exact same take, uh, on speed demons. I, I remember just thinking to myself, there's no meat on the bone here. It, yeah. it was all very yeah. superficial and it's fun enough in and of itself. And as a kid, I think I was probably very likely more entertained by it than I was now. And, you know, as far as the whole race bit, yes, that was a nice, you know, nod uh, to, you know, the, the pre-crisis comics. I, that doesn't really mean much to me. And I've never, I've never really been all that interested in who would win in a race. And I, have, I know I've said this on the show before, and I, I feel like more often than not, when people talk about this, people are kind of work. I feel like a lot of people are on the same page about this, where it's like, let Flash be faster. It's the one thing he yeah. has. 
<laughs> he has to be faster. And even in the episode, if you're paying attention, I think there might even be a little throwaway line. He is always slightly ahead. Yes. Slightly ahead. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's his thing. Let him be faster. Like, it's, I agree completely. Give it to Wally, for goodness sake. Yeah, it's like, I, what, but I guess the thing, I mean, on the one hand, I guess, I guess it makes sense that, you know, it, it would come up. But it's like, why would this even be a question? It's just, it's his one thing. Uh, but anyway, yes, we get a nice little nod to that for people who have a, an affection for the, the the historic, you know, Flash and Superman races. The show purposely doesn't tell us which Flash we're dealing with, though, from the personality, True. it is pretty clear that it's Wally West, not Barry Allen or you know, mm-hmm. a, a new Jay creation. Gettinger. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I think I read an interview or, or a quote from, uh, from Bruce Tim or one of the other producers where they said they were purposely ambiguous about it because they weren't sure exactly which one they wanted to commit to. And of course, by the time we get to the justice league cartoon, we would f- come to find out that it's Wally West, uh, as the mm-hmm. flash. And again, in terms of characterization, that certainly tracks, but right. The episode doesn't spell it out. Um, we also don't get any any backstory, which I didn't necessarily mind. You know, Flash just shows up and it's like, you know, Flash exists in this world and that's really as much as we get. What I thought was, one thing that I did think was interesting and uh, the, the flip side of this, I think, is the In Brightest Day episode, which I have a lot to say about. But here, this almost feels like a Flash episode that Superman is guest starring in, right? I mean, the main villain is the Weather Wizard. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that also was very silly too. And I know, like the weather wizard is just like by definition, and we 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 d- suspend our disbelief habitually here as comic book fans with what we do. I get that, but first of all, like the name the weather wizard, they should have used his real name instead of the weather wizard, and just like wasn't it like a cumulus or something like that? Wasn't it like that like his real name or something like that before he was the weather wizard, the scientist. Oh, well, Nimbus? Maybe Mark, that was it. Mark Martin. I think that's a different character because that sounds very a different familiar. Different character? It does, right? Maybe I'm think I'm getting all my my weather villain puns uh swirled around here. But yeah, I mean the weather wizard is a, just a silly name is my my first little minor note. Like that's very silly and of a certain time with all all due respect being said. Um yeah, I mean it's just it's, a, it's not particularly enthralling. I mean he's just throwing a bunch of weather at them as they're running around. It, it just doesn't really do much for me. The, the best we got to any kind of gravitas was the younger brother being like, you have to stop him. He's out of control. And even that was a kind of just like a minor blip in the whole episode, really. Yes. And, you know, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, essentially in this episode, we have, you know, Wally being or the Flash, you know, really being, uh, you know, a showboat and a bit of a hothead and, and, and being kind of mm-hmm. flippant, right? And Superman, you know, he's participating in this race for charity, but, you know, clearly he's not all that enamored with the Flash's antics. But he sees over the course of the episode that, you know, the Flash is willing to stop the race with him to, you know, to try to stop Weather Wizard and he displays his heroism. And, you know, it ends with him saying like, oh, I, I see you can take things seriously, you know, when the situation calls for it or whatever, you know, whatever. The, that's the spirit of it, I guess. <laughs> And that's it. And which, you know, is okay, but I don't know. Like I said, I didn't feel like there was much meat on the bone and it would have been nice to get, like, I don't think it could definitely, like this episode didn't, you know, reveal anything about Superman's character really. And, and for Flash, again, very superficial. It's like, okay, like he's silly, but you know, he's a hero when he needs to be. And that's about it. I would have, so a few thoughts on that. If this episode was in a different run, an animated series it might have been fine but i guess the curses of these shows is that for us a lot of times the bar is so high because they've reached such amazing heights in 20 minutes in 
what is ostensibly an animated show for television for children, right? But to, for all ages and reaches these heights that even as adults can really just move you and and make you think and look at things critically. The bar is so high that when it doesn't hit and it is a little more surface level, it does kind of stand out. You know, it does it does kind of stand out. It didn't really it didn't really. I think you put it best. Uh, you know, towards the top of our discussion of this, there's just there's not a lot of meat on the bone on this episode. Not a lot of meat on the bone at all. But I would have loved, and this is easy for me to Monday morning uh, quarterback, of course, but I would have loved even just like a throwaway scene where we see Wally calling somebody or or something to reveal that maybe he is still new and maybe is a little nervous and scared and maybe he's overcompensating because he feels like he has to be, you know, we've all either been or known somebody who tries so hard to play it cool that it's just too much. And that's kind of the vibe I was getting from Wally. Just something to humanize him to be like, oh, okay, wow. Like, yeah, I've been scared before too and kind of nervous, especially around Superman. Maybe he feels intimidated. Something for us not to care about the Flash, but to care about Wally as a person to make us connect to the character. I would have loved. And we get there. We certainly get there, as I've talked about before. But that's what I would have loved to have seen. Even a little bit of that would have gone a long way. So I, I agree with you totally. This might sound nitpicky and it's so small, but I did not care for the black around the circle on his emblem. I wonder why they did that. I suspect, I mean, I look, I don't know, but it might've, it might've been, it might not have been an aesthetic choice. It might've been an instance where that for whatever reason made it easier to animate. You know, we didn't talk about this, but you know, with, with this animated series, right, they didn't have the yellow S on Superman's cape because that would have proven difficult to animate, which I got to tell you, sure. I prefer the plain red cape generally. I, I do too. I like that better. I do too. Uh, I mean, Superman should be less flashy, right? It goes to me with a kind of that version of the character. I think we both enjoy a little more modest and humble and, you know, he doesn't have to, it's on the front. Why put it on the back? Yeah. And the red, I don't know, the cape in and of itself, you know, is majestic it's it's it, you know it, it's really striking i think there's enough there but maybe that that has something to do with it i don't really know or they just you know maybe it was a design choice I, I, i'm not sure but yeah that was speed demons i mean it certainly wasn't a, a bad episode but I, again i agree with you i think in terms of what we know the show can do this didn't live up to it and so it's sort of paled in comparison but overall um you know in fairness, right, like this was the first time they were bringing in a character from the wider DC universe. And it yeah, was it's their first try. It wasn't a home run, but like, like it was a solid. I never talk sports, but it was like a solid single or double. Like it was fine. Like it was. Yeah, it was fine. You know? Yeah, no, it, it, it's not a bad episode. It just doesn't reach the heights that we know it will reach later. Now, I got to I know I'm going a little out of order here, but I got to I got to talk about this Green Lantern episode because uh, it bothered me a lot. You you look like you're in pain. You need to get this off your chest, please. <laughs> okay. So even though Speed Demons wasn't my favorite episode, I appreciated that, you know, the Flash came in, you know, fully formed and it was really felt like a team up. And like I said, if anything, it was like, you know, we were in the Flash's world, right? We were dealing with the Flash villain and Superman was there. Yeah. Green, the In Brightest Day episode kind of, it was, was interesting to put it diplomatically for a couple of reasons one was the the amalgam of Hal Jordan and Kyle Rayner that we got and we can unpack mm -hmm. that and I do think there are behind the scenes reasons for that that do make sense and I am sympathetic to that I, I, I think the producers did the best they could with probably the parameters that they had to work within sure. but the thing that bothered me more about In Brightest Day was that they took 
a Green Lantern origin story and they made it a Superman story to the point where Superman meets the Guardians before <laughs> Green Lantern does. And That's correct. I'm not even that big a Green Lantern fan. And it kind of bothered me. And I was like, if I were really a Green Lantern fan, this episode would piss me off. So yep. so that's the thing where, and I'm going to jump ahead yet again, just for a second. I thought the the fish story episode with Aquaman, which I know you weren't a big fan of, but that to me struck a nice balance where Aquaman came in fully formed. They weren't transforming an Aquaman origin story into a Superman episode. He came fully formed, but unlike Speed Demons, they at least made the effort of digging into the philosophical differences and debate between Superman and Aquaman. Like you understood yes. why there was some tension there. So that to me yes. felt like, okay, that's a nice balance of an episode compared to the Flash and Green Lantern episodes. But for Green Lantern, those big picture were the two big things that just really, really kind of put me off. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on In Brightest Day? I am not sure what the exact point of that episode was because the way with the urgency and focus that everything was introduced in Superman was involved, you would think that Kyle Rayner works at the Daily Planet also, which also is kind of uh, a little bit of a, you know, uh, it's fine. He's there, he's working, cool. But you almost think that they really put this urgency in this episode because he was going to be a reoccurring character. He was part of the staff at the Daily Planet. Superman, like you said, like he really is like a Superman-Green Lantern origin story hybrid. So at the very least, I would have almost been able to forgive a little bit of this episode if Kyle was part of that supporting cast with, you know, with Lois and, and Jimmy. And I mean, he works at the planet. He's there already. You know, that could have been an interesting extra dynamic. But then there's just nothing. It's like, what's the point of all of that? I just don't understand like, exactly what the point of making this such like um, an urgent, big, jam-packed, almost unnecessarily so story if it's not going anywhere. And we don't ever see Kyle Rayner again in Superman, do we? No. So what, what's what's the point of it is, is my question, you know? And by the time we get to Justice League, you know, Jon Stewart is our Green Lantern. And yeah. I, I, my understanding is in either later Justice League or I think more specifically unlimited episodes, I think we do see Kyle, but I don't think he gets much play no, I mean, John Stewart's, no, John Stewart's the Green Lantern, the focus, yeah. I'm with you. Had they made, had Kyle been a supporting cast member, right? And we were sort of, you know, look, <laughs> talking about Smallville for a second, it's like, you know, we saw a lot of characters, you know, you don't necessarily think of Green Arrow as a Superman supporting character, but the show made him sure. that, and I could get on board with that. Why not? Tell a good story, we can, we'll go with it. Why not? Sure. But here, I agree with you, you know, we see him once and never again, and We'll talk more about the the two John Henry Irons episodes, but I really liked both of those episodes. But I, you know, <laughs> it took an episode and a half to get him into that steel armor, and we don't we never see him again. <laughs> no, and that, that's the thing. And I, I know we're we're jumping around as as you and I do. If you're asking me like what I think objectively, like the best storytelling is. I think it is those two episodes. I think I would have to say those two are my favorite because it is the weight and the payoff. And yes, like we don't, I, we do see him down the line, I believe too, in uh, Justice League Unlimited mm -hmm. and, and everything like that, um, which is kind of a, a halfway out, you know, because obviously there was no way to know that going down the line, even though they do, again, the masters of long form storytelling here. But 
I really love the storytelling in that episode, and it did take longer, but there was such a better payoff, at least. Like, I knew who these characters were, what their motivations were, and the one thing I did like about the Green Lantern episode that I also really, really liked about the um, saga here with Steel is you get those inspirational bits and lines from Superman as he's encouraging these heroes on their way. When he says to Kyle at the end, he goes, why Why are you choosing me? All I do is daydream. I'm in a fantasy world half the time. And Superman kind of gives him that reassuring, sounds like you're perfect for the job. And I, I, I love that. That was the best part of that episode, I thought, to be honest with you. And we see it again. We see it twice, really, in both of the episodes, right, with Steel, when he says, you know, I could really be good to have a hand around here. And uh, that moment at the at the very end, when he is Steel, when he comes up to him and he doesn't know, you know, is Superman going to be ticked off or mad? Or, and he goes, you're going to be hearing this a lot. And he puts his hand out and he says, thank you. Oh, my goodness. What a beautiful moment. That's That, to me, is the bar where I love to live and see this show hitting. That was such a good payoff. And, uh, again, that's to me, is when Superman's at his best, truly. And... I'm going to jump around a little bit here, too, if you don't mind. Go for Why, it. Why, I think my second my second favorite episode, I know we're split on this one, is the Dr. Fate episode. I love, love, love that episode for the storytelling. And the Lovecraftian horror doesn't hurt as well, too. I love that. Um, I also love that the magic, you know, gives Superman something else to uh, that he can't quite fight against. You know, again, we always talk about how some people are like, oh, well, Superman's, you know, invulnerable, is too strong. I mean, he's got kryptonite and magic. It's such a great... Uh, opposing force for Superman in that regard, too. The point being, the reason why I love that episode is why I loved those moments and the others. It's because we see Kent Nelson, Dr. Fate, who doesn't want to fight anymore. He's done. He's retired. And I got to tell you, Anthony, of all the beatings I feel like I've been taking, both mentally, physically, and emotionally with these moves, that moment resonated with me personally, maybe more than it would have otherwise, if I'm being completely honest, where he says, you know, the, the evil and the bad stuff is just going to keep coming. It's just going to keep coming. And, you know, when Superman says, why'd you come back? Was it something I said? He says, no, it was something you did. You knew you were going to die facing certain doom, but you went anyway. It's not just the evil that's never going to stop. And of course, I'm paraphrasing here, but that moment, it struck such a chord with me. And I thought it was such a beautiful message that immediately tells you, who Dr. Fate is, which let's be real here, Dr. Fate on the Grandscape, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm a huge Dr. Fate fan. This episode definitely made me more of a Dr. Fate fan. As I showed you, I'm over here reading the uh, 87 four-part uh, Dematis run over here just because I was so inspired by that episode. But more importantly, that does arguably the best job, I think, of telling you who Superman is through that lens. Because he's somebody who never, ever gives up. He went back no matter the odds. And he, somebody who was older and tired and beaten and just didn't want to fight anymore. He got him back in the game. And that, to me, is Superman, man. That's, it's, it's beautiful. All right. You know what? So, first of all, with the Steel stuff, I agree totally. And we can circle back to that. With Dr. Fate, you know, we messaged about it ahead of time, the, the Hands of Fate episode. And I said it was my least favorite. And you said it was one of your favorites. And I said, oh, we'll have a fun conversation about it. I got to tell you, I think you've kind of turned me around on it a good bit. And that's one of the reasons I love doing this because, and I feel like this is very important for all of us as fans is, is to try to keep as open a mind as possible. And, and, you know, Absolutely. things that might not really work for us might really resonate with other people. 
And, you know, hearing you describe that, that does kind of put the episode in a new light. I'll say that the the reason why I, I was not the biggest fan of the Dr. Fate episode, probably three things. One, I do remember this as a kid and it was not, I didn't like it then. And I think it just kind of always stayed with me, uh, you know, and, and as a kid, I don't know that I could have necessarily put my finger on why, but it was just one of those episodes that I was always like, eh, this was not my favorite. And I think I kind of still had that baggage with me. Watching it now, I get what you're saying. I've never been a huge fan of stories that pit Superman against the supernatural or magic. Mm. And this this whole bit about, you know, magic being one of his weaknesses, I, <laughs> it is, right? And I get it, but I, and I know I've said this on another episode, but I guess the thing that has always, I've never, there's always been a little bit of a disconnect for me and maybe I'm just missing something. I don't know. But it's like, why wouldn't magic be a weakness? Like his powers are physical, like they are rooted in the physical world. So the idea that the metaphysical or the mystical or whatever you want to call it, would be a challenge for him. Like, of course it would be. And and so mm-hmm. I, the fact that it's always singled out, it's like kryptonite and magic. I don't know. There's always been that thing where, and, and I guess that's, that's more maybe even semantics, but I guess I've never really loved the stories that I have read or watched that deal with Superman and the supernatural. They've just never really done much for me. And I, I understand that like from a logical standpoint, I totally understand your perspective and what you're saying. I think it's an, it's an inherent clash stylistically and kind of tonally, maybe even a little bit, which I think is definitely really jarring. It can be hard to swallow. I like the idea of putting Superman in situations where, like we talked about, so much of the show does a good job of putting him up against the ropes, to use an expression that we both very much enjoy, uh, where you can kind of see him in that danger and that peril. Well, he does need to phone a friend. Yeah. where he does need to tag in some help. And I think that's just such a great... And is it a little bit of a MacGuffin and a plot device? Sure. I mean, you're right. Absolutely. Like, oh yeah, on magic. Uh, but I, I think the ends, at least for me, the ends justify the means because we do at least get him in a position where you can tell stories with that that you couldn't otherwise, where he is going to need some help or maybe go up against a foe that he's going to have to maybe rely on his intelligence, something that you and I both love about Clark as well too, you know, to kind of, you know, he just can't fly and punch and, and he has to actually, you know, think and use tactics and strategies and really show off, you know, those critical thinking skills that, uh, that, that Clark has as well. But I, um, I thought this episode more than any other embodied what Superman is to me through that inspirational lens, because let's be real here. I'm not, again, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Dr. Fate is one of my favorite comic book characters of all time. There are fans of Dr. Fate. I'm more of a Dr. Fate fan now, just from that episode in this comics that I'm reading now than I've ever been. I Pierce Brosnan is playing him yeah. in uh, the upcoming, that's pretty cool casting. That's pretty cool. But I mean, he's really, you know, with, with all due respect, again, he's, you know, kind of an ancillary, you know, superhero, not really, you know, uh, a heavy hitter, like, you know, a lot of the other, uh, characters that we've talked about on this list he's probably the least popular out of all of these team-up episodes like if you were to take a general poll oh yeah i'd be willing to probably be last by probably a decent margin right so this episode doesn't get my vote because i think dr fate is so cool and so awesome even though it did win me over a little bit in that regard too don't get me wrong but it's because i think it does the best job of embodying who superman is through that lens I'll say as far as Dr. Fate generally, yeah, I'm not the biggest Dr. Fate fan either. 
my main experience with the character is as a as a you know a member of the ensemble in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s uh, Justice Society comics by Jeff Johns, which I loved. So good. Yep. But again, he's not the focal point. But you know that those were you know really the the main stories that that I've experienced with that character. And then of course you know Smallville did use him in season nine when they when they brought in the, yes. the Justice Society. And that is one of my favorite scenes, actually, probably from the show, where he's like, you know, he gives Clark a little a little hint about his future. And he says, you will lead this generation as Hawkman once led ours. But my favorite part from that scene is when he tells Clark that even though Lex Luthor is his ultimate opponent, Clark will triumph over him. And Clark says, but Lex is dead. Dr. Fate just looks at him. <laughs> just looks at I him. I love it. That's great. Love it. Yeah, uh, you know, so Doctor Fate underrated, maybe underrated is what we're we're, we're coming to the conclusion here. You yeah, know? no, solid character. I am very, I am really excited for the Black Adam movie and and to see Pierce Brosnan in that role. I think that'll be really cool. But you know, the the last reason why I didn't love this Doctor Fate episode, and for anyone who needs a quick refresher, the the villain Carkle uh, is is released and terrible uh, name. Terrible name, you know, and takes over the Daily Planet and, and turns everyone into demons and, and Superman can't penetrate the force field. So he has to go to track down, you know, Dr. Fate to try to get help. And like you said, you know, fate initially turns him away. He's he's done. He's out of the out of the game. Uh, and uh, Kent Nelson, a.k.a. Dr. Fate, his wife, Inza, gives Superman a talisman, gives him something at least to, to try to help him in the battle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that allows Superman to penetrate the force field and, and try to and try to win the day. But of course, he's unable to do it on his own. But then Dr. Fate arrives and they're able to turn the tide. But the reason why I didn't really like it, and this is where you really, I think, turned me around. I kind of felt watching it. I, I might, you know, and, and it's funny, just the different reactions that we can have to an episode. Because I watched it, and I'm like, what was the point of this? It would have been more interesting if, Superman didn't know who to turn to and he had to find Dr. Fate because this is another instance where we get no backstory. Clearly he's had some encounter with Dr. Fate that we've not been privy to, mm -hmm. right? So he knows who to go to. And so the tension in this episode is that Dr. Fate doesn't want to help. And mm -hmm. I guess I felt like, well, it would have been more interesting if Superman had to figure out who, you know, who to go to. But honestly, this really is where you've turned me around. I think that uh, it, it, it does work and it does to your point, you know, speak to, again, that power to inspire, which is ultimately, you know, at, at its heart, really the crux of, of Superman, that he chooses to use his powers the way he does and that he's able to bring this out in other people. Like that, that's the character. And this does a good job of explaining that. So, you know, would I put this at the top of my list? No, but I would I would bump it up. And I'm, that's why I'm glad we're doing this because you've kind of put that, yeah. you've kind of recontextualized that episode for me and I'm more on board with it now than I was before. Well, I, I love that. And that's, you know, like you said, that's why it's so wonderful that not only that you and I get to have these conversations, but we get to have these conversations with the greater community as well, too. I, I always love learning and listening and hearing people's viewpoints and keeping an open mind about uh, about all this as well, too, is such an important lesson for anything, for life in general, to try to see things through other people's viewpoints and eyes. And it's funny, it really struck a chord with me. And I'm wondering if I wasn't going through all the current trials and tribulations that I'm going through now on my end personally, if it um, would have even affected me this so way, but it really made me pay attention. And it really, uh, it really struck a chord with me. It really stuck with me. Yeah. And that's one of those things like, you know, stuff just hits you at the right point. Um, <clears throat> I was drinking water and it went down the wrong pipe. So I apologize if it sounds like I'm dying. I'm okay. He's getting choked up, everybody. 
Don't let him, don't let him fool you or lie to you. He's getting all emotional. We're over here, you know, talking about Superman and Dr. Fate. So it's a beautiful thing, really. You know, I just wasn't on board with this Dr. Fate episode, but now, now I just, I've seen the light. That's it. It, so it was fate. Let's, I want to jump back to the, the In Brightest Day episode and <clears throat> I'm going to toss it to you for a second while I try to get my uh, my breath back. Sure, but sure. I'm assuming, based on our our age, that like myself, Kyle Rayner is your Green Lantern. Is that fair to say, or is Hal your guy? Hal's my guy. And an interesting change of events, right? Because everybody who's who's been listening to me for some time knows that I I love my Titans, right? And I love those younger heroes. I love younger. I think DC does it better than anybody in terms of a younger hero a former sidekick maybe taking over that mantle i love wally's my favorite flash and they're gonna come for me uh at the gates with this one but i've said it before and i'll stand by that dick grayson is my favorite batman as well too he's my absolute favorite batman i love it and even though we're of that formative age where kyle rayner should have been that i don't necessarily dislike kyle it's just how jordan is still my favorite green lantern and if I had to put my finger on why, maybe it has to do with just the 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 writing and maybe just the the rich history of Hal or you know, now that I'm talking about it, I never really thought about it before, but maybe because no character has ever been done I hate to use like such a, a common expression, but ever been done so dirty as Hal Jordan, right? When he became parallax and he did all that, how could this happen? And all of us, I think whether you're a huge Green Lantern fan or not, you have to always be cheering for a comeback because everybody loves a comeback. And I really wonder if that has something to do with it. I never even occurred to me till you and I are sitting here talking about this out loud. And I think seeing him come back and having the whole uh, rebirth and 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 that and seeing him back in the fold and just really want to cheer for him. And he's made these horrible mistakes because, you know, that's why we read these comics and we watch these shows because, yeah, they do incredible things we could never do. But they are people just like us. And we've all made mistakes. Some people have made mistakes they thought they could never come back from. And we love redemption and a comeback story. And I think that's why Hal Jordan is my Green Lantern. All right. Fair enough. You know, I guess a couple of things. And this really speaks to a larger, you know, Green Lantern conversation, which I think this podcast will present not not too long from now. But it, I, I am with you in the comeback aspect. And what's funny is that that's the aspect of the character that I respond to the most. And that's the the period of the character's history that most of the, I guess, the old school, hardcore Green Lantern, Hal Jordan fans, you know, were most upset by, you know, his villainous sure. turn, uh, you know, becoming Parallax, <clears throat> his role in Zero Hour, his death in Final Night, even though he achieved a, me a measure of, you know, redemption with that, you know, bringing him back as the Spectre, I think people... Yeah. We're sort of split on. I thought it was kind of cool. Interesting choice. You know, and then his ultimate return as, you know, as as the Green Lantern. You know, I, I agree. That's the part of the history. Well, I don't know. You know, you wonder too. It's like, why do I like that so much? Because I think it's so interesting or because that's when I was reading. I mean, you know, like I've said many right. times on the show, right? Starting with, you know, the first time I met Hal was, you know, he was attending the, you know, the funeral of Superman. And then the next time I met him, his city was getting destroyed in Reign of the Superman. Yeah. And I think the next time I saw the character was in Zero Hour and he you know he had he had already had his his heel turn and you uh. know, and he was Parallax. So 
all that all that being said, um, but this is positive. You know, that's Get that, those t-shirts. That is the part of the character that um, that I have always liked. But Kyle has been my Green Lantern, I think, be, because of when I started reading and and when I did start reading Green Lantern, uh, and and even before that, when I started reading JLA featuring Green Lantern, it was Kyle Rayner. So I have that attachment to the character, and I also. This kind of cuts both ways. I've not fully sorted out my my thoughts on this because, you know, how and the Greenland and the larger Green Lantern Corps, you know, is such a big part of the mythology. And with Kyle, they went in a very different direction, right? There's no core. Yeah. There's no more guardians. He wasn't chosen. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. He's an ordinary guy, right? He's not someone without fear. He's just an ordinary guy trying to do the best he can. And that resonated with me, but I recognize that is totally counter to the rest of the yep. mythology and the core of the mythology. So huge departure. Yeah. So again, I liked it. And, you know, when I was reading it at the time as a kid, I didn't have any of that backstory. So for me, it wasn't a departure. This was just Green Lantern. So I recognize like I kind of have that to to sort out. But in any event, in this episode, we get this you know, weird amalgam of yes. Kyle and Hal. So he's an artist like, and so his name is Kyle Rayner and he's an artist like Kyle from the comics. He works at the Daily Planet. So he's been repositioned as a one-time, one-episode-only Superman supporting cast member. Again, why? Why? If you're not going to use him again. Anyway, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> and, you know, but he has the, and, I, you know, I guess he has the, the in addition to the artistic side, I guess, you know, some of the self-doubt of Kyle but he has the physicality of Hal, right? And in the opening scene, he's hanging out with Jimmy Olsen and a mugger comes by and Kyle's able yeah. to stop him. And he talks about being, you know, playing football at Metropolis University. So there's a physicality to the character that you would associate more with Hal and definitely not with Kyle, but this version possesses. And then he's given the Hal Jordan origin story. You know, Abin Sir crash lands, the ring finds mm -hmm. Kyle. Uh, and you know, he's, you know, very quickly targeted by Sinestro again, traditionally a Hal Jordan villain. So it's this blend. I mean, I don't know. Was that off putting to you or were you just like, ah, eh, it's like, I'll go along for the ride on this. No, it was off putting. It was definitely off putting. And I, again, I think you kind of, um, hit the nail on the head kind of right, you know, at the top of it here is if you are going to have Kyle Rayner be there and he is going to be this every man as a huge departure, at least give the respect mm -hmm. to stay in that lane. But he's, he's over here beating up muggers in the beginning of the episode. It's like, what are we doing? Like choose which lane you're going to be in. If you want Hal, just have him be Hal. But if he's Kyle, I think it's better. Like, you know, have him get mugged in the beginning of the episode and pushed down into the gutter and being like, Oh, you know, do kind of the old, just my luck. And you know, he's down in the dumps. He's like all of us until his real gift is his mind. Right. And his, his creativity and how, Kyle Rayner looks at the world, not as it is, but as it could be. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, listen, I don't want to get misconstrued what I say here. Hal Jordan is very much my Green Lantern. I like Kyle Rayner. I like Kyle Rayner. I think that's a cool, and I, again, you said it, I think, perfectly, where for people of our age, it wasn't a, such a jarring departure, right? You know, for, it was just, you know, Green Lantern for a while. I didn't have that huge, huge history with Hal, um, like so many other fans did. But yeah, I mean, it's, just have him be Kyle Rayner. If you want Hal Jordan, give us Hal Jordan. Don't give us that wink and a nod with the airplane in that episode when he gets knocked into a Colonel Hal Jordan. Just give us Hal if you want to give us Hal. If not, 
if you're going to have him for just this one episode, which I disagree with, just really give us Kyle Rayner as we know him, as that everyman who's, you know, not good in a fight, who's who's kind of stuck, you know, at his job and constantly dreams and sees a world where things are different, things are beautiful, things are strange, but things are better. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, whether you're a Hal fan or a Kyle fan, I don't know that that either fan base would be totally satisfied by this depiction. And I don't know, you know, I've not, I don't think I've really read anything from the the writers or producers about what was going on behind the scenes with this, but you know, I doubt this was the case. Maybe they were just like, we love both characters and this is a way to combine them. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I feel like more likely than not, they wanted to use, and again, I'm not speaking for them. I don't know, but I would imagine Maybe they wanted to use Hal, but they couldn't because Kyle was the Green Lantern in the comics at the time. So they infused as much as, of Hal as they could into the Kyle Rayner character, which again, I, I don't think was really the best path. Where I am sympathetic to them is in the origin because if you don't give, I mean, you know, Kyle's origin, there's so much backstory there about the mm-hmm. core and how and how going evil. It's like, I don't know that there would have been really any place for that. Uh, so they give him Hal's origin, but again, that that just, you know, there was like some dissonance there for me. But this is where, going back to what I was saying before, big picture, I would have preferred if we just met Kyle Rayner Green Lantern a few weeks into his career as Green Lantern and struggling and... Oh. To your point, needing that inspiration from Superman, that would have been fine. I don't need to see the origin sort of reconfigured in this way and repositioned as a Superman story. Because like I said, I think it just it was just kind of off note for me. Um, whereas if they had just done Kyle as, as Green Lantern and he comes in fully formed, but there's still a role for Superman to play in his development, that I think would have been a solid balance. I would have preferred that. I could not agree more. That seems like such a good, happy medium. And you have this whole, it's not like Kyle Rayner was created just for the TV show, right? Just for the animated series here. You have, he's, he's like you just mentioned, he's the Green Lantern, the premier Green Lantern while the show is on. You have this whole other market. Get kids curious and get them reading. Present them. And then be like, oh, that Kyle Rayner guy, that Green Lantern was pretty cool. Let me go pick up a comic book. It's not like this is a new four uh, animated only character that they're using. You have this whole other source material that you can use to build interest. And, you know, which I think is always such a beautiful thing about these adaptations is ultimately, as much as I do love our our animated shows and our our movies and all the other media, I love the fact that it's just going to be bringing kids and adults who've never read a comic book before back to reading a comic book. And I think by doing what you just said, you're not only telling a better story, but you're also keeping that possibility much more open as well. Yeah. And I mean, look, you know, this idea of Monday morning quarterbacking, again, it's easy to say this now, 25 years later at the time. I mean, you know, I think there, there certainly was, like I was saying before, this degree of like, wow, we're actually seeing Green Lantern on screen. You know, that, you know, that's not nothing. And I do recognize that. And I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, like I said, not the biggest Hal Jordan fan. I am a Kyle fan, but I feel like whichever camp you fall in, I don't know that this episode yeah, really no, did it. There, There's no wrong answers between Hal and Kyle, but this episode was a master of none. It was a master of none. And again, you, you I think, summed it up perfectly where either if you're a Hal fan or a Kyle fan, I don't think you're going to be particularly pleased with the presentation here. Exactly. We'll be back in action in just a moment following these words about our sponsors. 
I speak a lot on the show about how becoming a dad enhanced my appreciation of the Superman mythology. If you're a fellow father out there, or if you're just interested in hearing a fun conversation, check out Shadadigans, a weekly podcast by dads sharing their dad experiences. Listen, relate, and laugh. One of the hosts is a multiple guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness and cosplay journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram at Lobo. And if you're looking for guidance in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out Iron and Honor on Instagram. I travel to comic book stores across America to make the documentary film My Comic Shop Country. Unfortunately, my travels didn't take me to Texas, but when I do eventually find myself in the Lone Star State, my first comic shop stop will be the Hive Comics and Tabletop Games. As they say, we exist to make your entry into nerdy realms easy. An oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas, Hive carries a full selection of comics, manga, and gaming, including Magic, D&D, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and Pokemon. Visit them in person or via their online shop at thehivecomics.com. And now we return to digging for kryptonite. So we're just about at the one hour mark and we haven't talked Batman yet. So we got it. We can circle back to Steel and Aquaman. Is he important? Do people even like him? <laughs> you know, it's funny because when we originally were designing this five episode event, it was going to be a six episode event and I was going to split off the Batman mm-hmm. stuff into its own episodes. And then I was like, oh, let's do it all together. And I, you were so game and I appreciate it. It certainly could have been its own. But uh, again, I thought it would be fun to kind of look at, at these team ups together. Sure. You know, I know World's Finest... I, you know, we'll, we'll, I will probably spend most of our time there, but can I just say like nighttime is, is kind of like the unsung hero of, of this bunch. One, one of my favorites of the entire series. I think. I don't know if there is a bad Batman crossover episode in the bunch. That's true. And I think that's just such a testament and that might sound like a, okay, it's a handful of episodes. I mean, world's finest is three episodes, right? Yeah. So we're talking about a, a good amount of episodes here, and they're all they all range from good to incredible, I think. Oh, from good to incredible. So yeah, I agree. And that comes down to the writing, the storytelling, and also the the performances. And I've said this before, just like I've said about uh, Tim Daly as Superman and uh, Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor. But when I'm reading a comic, the voice I hear in my head, and I know I'm not alone in this is Kevin Conroy. He is, and this is kind of a cheeky answer when people who are maybe more casual fans or <laughs> just fans of the movie say, who's your favorite Batman? My answer is always Kevin Conroy. That he is my absolute favorite actor to who is portrayed, uh, who's portrayed Batman. I wish the CW and the Arrowverse gave him a little more to do. I still think it's cool that we saw him there and they gave him a little <laughs> nod of a cap. Um, but yeah, you know, most people are always clamoring online. Michael Keaton uh, to do a Batman and Beyond movie, but let's just get Kevin Conroy in it, man. Let's just get Kevin Conroy in there too. I just, you know, he he's he's my Batman. But you know what? You go back to the whole nostalgia aspect that we always talk about, and us being of a certain age. I'm willing to bet that for people who are older than us and people who are younger than us, that Kevin Conroy probably doesn't mean much to them. And it's such an interesting thing. And you in this podcast has really, you know, we've gone over a couple of decades now. Uh, and then the podcast that we've done together, which is super cool as well, you've really given me this huge view of like Superman fandom over the generations and this huge view where I can kind of contextualize this, that even though Ken, Kevin Conroy and these episodes and Batman, the animated series and everything that came after means so much to me for a great amount of the fan base, it doesn't. And that's okay too. 
that's okay too. I, I would hope, and I'd be willing to bet that most of the people listening to Digging for Kryptonite are probably very familiar with Kevin Conroy's Batman. Uh, if by some chance you haven't watched the animated series, I believe most, if not all, are on HBO Max as well too. Go check them out. But the, I mean, all these episodes are are phenomenal. So you really, what you think would Nighttime be your favorite? No, I mean, you know, ultimately I have to give the the nod to World's Finest, but and there's just no other way, right? It has to be. It's yeah. really fantastic, and we'll 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 dive into it. But uh, yeah, night. Uh, well, I'll I'll jump back to nighttime in a second. I just <laughs> this was so funny to me. So I'll talk about Girls' Night Out for a second. So that's the lone episode of Batman the yes. animated series that made it into our Superman the animated series mixtape. So I love that you you included that in though. I thought that was a nice touch. If I had remembered that Livewire were in it, I wouldn't have. So, <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. Next, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so next week, uh, our theme will be the villains, the Superman rogues gallery, yes. right? And we'll be discussing a collection of Superman, the animated series episodes revolving around the villains and audience. You'll find out next week, but I'll, I'll tell you now there, I, I omitted the, the live wire episodes. And if there are any live wire fans out there, right on. I'm so glad you enjoy the character was not my favorite. I, Lori Petty's great. And in recent years, uh, you know, the voice actors and in recent years, uh, like my wife and I watched her on orange is the new black, you know, and it was great. Mm -hmm. So, but I've never really cared for the, the character. I just found her, the character grading to, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you know, don't this, like rapid fire electricity puns? Not so much. And you know, this was an original character for the show. Yeah. Which yes. that in and of itself, not not a bad thing. It's cool that they were trying to do something a little a little different. And, and Wait, Har 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 Harley Quinn was also for Batman the animated series, and those two characters <laughs> took very different trajectories. Oh, that a thousand percent. And anyway, so I omitted Livewire from because for anyone keeping count, by the time Jeremy and I are done with this five-episode event, we will have rewatched and discussed the vast, vast, vast majority of the 54 episodes. I only left off a small selection. Um, but part of making these mixtapes, you know, we're, 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 you know, kind of arranging them by, by topic, but also, you know, there are some that maybe we're skipping to really boil it down to the best of the series. So I left off the Livewire episodes, but again, I threw this into this episode, you know, the, the Supergirl, Batgirl team up, and I had forgotten that Livewire was in it. And when I started watching it, I said, oh my God, they got me. It's like, I just could not escape Livewire. It's I, extra funny too, because Harley Quinn's right there with her too. So that comment I made actually is even funnier, right? Because they're <laughs> side by side, original animated creations boy did they take on different lives outside the show yeah i mean that episode wasn't um it was cool seeing supergirl and batgirl together on their home turf i appreciated that i just also don't get why live wire needed to be there when you had poison ivy and harley quinn already it should have just been a two-on-two -two match two-on-two -two dance right that would have been completely fine. Yeah. Um, I don't think the Newsarama headline tomorrow is going to be Anthony hates Livewire and the thousands and thousands of Livewire fans are going to come for our heads. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I say respectfully. I'd say the grand majority of people would say best case scenario, Livewire is inconsequential. Worst case scenario, she's annoying and not that great of a character. Thank you. I feel I do feel validated and, and heard. You know, so... Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like that episode was fine. And for anyone who's who is like, hey, why didn't you talk about Supergirl when you did your Krypton episodes? 
I debated this. I really, it was a debate, but I felt that the two part, the two parter introducing Supergirl to Superman, the animated series was a better fit for our new gods episode, mm-hmm. which is going to be our big finale. And so we'll, we will talk yep. about Supergirl's introduction. But anyway, I threw that in here. It was fun enough to rewatch. Not my favorite episode. Nighttime was great. I mean, like I said at the top, you know, this was the episode where, you know, Batman is missing and Superman poses as Batman and is able to replicate his voice thanks to precise muscle control. And he also has good ear. It's extremely silly premise. It's something that could come out of those like older generations of comic books, right? Like it's extremely, extremely silly, but um, the execution is great. It's, you know, it's, uh, it was one of those ones that I wasn't really, it, it almost kind of like caught me off guard because I, I was really, really kind of, uh, you know, keen to rewatch World's Finest. And I'm like, oh, this is, and I really loved rewatching that. And we'll talk about that. But uh, nighttime, you know, I just, wasn't totally on my radar and I was like oh this was so, like I forgot how good this one is and yes a bit of a silly premise but it's one of those ones that you know if this were the first time that uh Batman and Superman were going to interact it's like yeah no that wouldn't work but in the context of the the you know the the, the three-part world's finest that we've already had mm-hmm. you know it, it works because now you know Superman knows enough about Batman and Batman's world where you can really have some fun with it and yeah. you know you know just little things like when uh Superman as Batman and Robin are interrogating Penguin and, you know, he's not giving up the information and Robin just whispers, kick over the table. He's like, just do it. Mm, it's, <laughs> he does it. it's like, very funny. It's, it's so funny. And, you know, it's, it's also this thing of like, you know, we know that they have very different methods and, you know, when they first meet in world's finest, that's a point of contention. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now Superman is in Batman's world. And so to see him adopt, you know, even some of Batman's methods briefly, you know, it's, it's just kind of interesting to see him in that context. And I can't believe this hasn't come up yet. It's a, it's a surprise Brainiac episode. Ding, ding. Winner, winner. Brainiac dinner. The big homie, of course, getting points again. And if anyone's like, why didn't you talk about this in the Krypton episode? A, I forgot that Brainiac was in this episode. But B, yeah. ultimately, I would consider this far more a Batman episode than a Brainiac yes. episode. But yes. yeah, we find out now. we find out that you know Batman uh, was infected, or Bruce Wayne specifically was infected by uh, by uh, with nanites by Brainiac uh, to you know create a ship for him to leave Earth. Um, so yeah, it ends up being a. This is one of those things where um, you know this happened last episode. We talked about. Um, Superman's pal, right? The Jimmy Olsen centric episode where, you know, Metallo pops up unexpectedly as the villain. Similar thing here, like as we're getting deep into the series now, we're getting these episodes where you don't need to spend an entire episode with a villain, but they can kind of pop up. And I think it's like, it's really, really fun. I like the way Brainiac was used here. Just like Metallo did in Heavy Metal. Don't freak. Don't think I didn't forget that you. I know. We ran right by the other homie Metallo, but that's okay. We'll come back. We'll come back. We'll come back. We'll go back. That's fine. I only have a quick note or two. Um, but yeah, you know, I loved, you know, I love that, that, that bit about, uh, that bit about Brainiac. Um, but what else stood out to you about, uh, nighttime, if anything? It was probably, I, one, it's funny, actually, you brought up the, the, my pal Jimmy Olsen episode. Those two episodes I think might've been the funniest that we've seen so far. And I mean that in a good way where it wasn't like necessarily like slapstick, but very good situational comedy. And I think if, World's Finest hadn't established these characters and these the relationship that they have, that this episode would not have worked. But because we have a sense of both who they are and how they relate to each other and what a difficult time 
one would have being the other. I think that's what makes this episode work. Um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really it's good fun. It really is good fun. I would always recommend, of course, people to watch World's Finest first. I think as long as you do that, to put this one more in context, I think it's a home run. A lot of fun. Yeah, agreed totally. It, it it is very funny, but but it's again it's funny because we know the characters and the characters know each other. It's like even when you know Superman as Batman shows up on the the GCPD roof and like there's like a smile on his face. It's like this is like, but that's what Superman would do. Like he would so that was and you know when when he fights Bane, it's like it's amazing because Bane is like what the hell. <laughs> And what a great choice to, for them to have Bane as well for that exact reason, right? Yeah. Who's used to, you know, being able to overpower, at least from a physical standpoint, uh, Bruce. So I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. Nice touch as well, too. It's, it, it's always going to be interesting when you put two very different characters and you drop one in the center of another's world. And they did, uh, with a, the 20 minutes and change they had, I think they did a really nice job of showing what that world would look like. Exactly. Uh, and... It was also cool too the dynamic because again you know Batman himself appears very briefly in this episode. It's really a Superman and mm -hmm. Robin story, and you know that was yeah. cool to see that relationship. And you know at the end where you know <clears throat> Superman is leaving the Batcave, and you know he says to Bruce, um, I forget the exact line, but you know basically paying you know Tim you know a, a huge compliment, like the city was in good hands, or you know I, I you know you chose a great oh, partner, you know something along those lines. It was great. It's wonderful. Wonderful. And that, that kind of, again, ties in that whole theme that I was talking about of the Superman, you know, reassuring and inspiring others, especially the younger generations of heroes as well, too. And I just love that we got that episode. You're totally right, because it isn't really a Batman episode. It's a, it's a Superman episode, right, that has – it's Superman and Batman's world, but it also, I think – it frames up more Robin than it does than it Tim in this case than it does Bruce even in that regard, right? And um, I think it it does a really nice job of showing that I don't think we get the idea that in this universe in the Timverse that Bruce Wayne is necessarily a a, a horrible guardian uh, to to Tim or Robin's, but it does show that hey, like maybe Tim does need a little more of an attaboy here and there. Or does need that reassurance. And maybe Bruce does take note of that as well, too. At least I'd like to think so. So I think that's why that moment was um, especially important on a few different levels. Yes, this is not the Bruce Wayne of Frank Miller's All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. He's not making you know, no. Dick Grayson eat rats in the Batcave. <clears throat> no. Or the Bruce Wayne from Titans, if there's any uh, Titans uh, <laughs> fans on HBO Max as well, too. But, yeah. All right. So World's Finest. Uh I'll, I'll I'll toss it to you first. What what were your impressions of of this this three part episode I, that intro that you know paired them up for the first time in this animated universe? I would put this Batman Superman story up against anyone in terms of quality, especially as a a first meeting story. I think it, it can rank up there with anything in comics and any other media. It does such a great job of presenting these characters and the whole kind of. Actually, I thought the least interesting part was the finale. In a lot of ways, to be honest with you, even though it was like action packed, you know, you got Joker flying over the city, everything's in peril. Uh, it was the cat and mouse game between Bruce and Clark that I love the one upsmanship and him using his x-ray vision to use your Bruce Wayne. And then, you know, some time passes and he's in his apartment. And he looks out across the way and he just sees Batman looking at him and he gives him the little little wave and signal and runs away. Oh, it's so good. It's so good because. 
you get the idea that even though they're very different and they have very, very different skill sets, they are presented as equals in a lot of regards. And I think that's such a hard thing to do. And maybe something we take for granted when you have a Kryptonian and what is ostensibly a peak human being, but, you know, a human being. I think that's such a delicate balance to do, but they did such a nice job here of showing both their intelligence, which I'm a big fan of as well, too, uh, and also how they operate, you know, quite differently. Also, can we talk about the fact that in this, again, what is ostensibly a children's cartoon show, were they in a strip club? Is that a thing that happened in this episode? I was watching this episode. I was like, are they just battling it out in a strip club? This is wild. So you want, along those lines, you know, there's there's the moment where, you know, uh, Batman uses his the, the jet pack, right? And he lands and Joker has this line. He's like, oh, do you have like propulsion envy? It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, all right. Like, <laughs> like we're making those there's, jokes now. All right. <laughs> they definitely were just like, we're going to throw a bunch of stuff past the sensors and hopefully it makes it, you know? Yeah. But again, like that's a perfect joke where. As a kid, I know I did not know what Joker was talking about. <laughs> right. It's like right. now I'm like, oh, okay. So you know, like I think that works. That works great. Um, yeah, I wasn't particularly clocking the 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 strip club aspect, but yeah, I think that that is or a nightclub at least. But you know, yeah, I, I think I mean, they have spot the women on. dancing in cages. I mean, uh, again, yeah. people could say maybe it's a nod to the Adam West go-go dancers, maybe. But the first thing I saw when they were fighting, I was like, are they fighting in a strip club in the Saturday morning animated show? 90s are wild, man. 90s were wild. But no, I, I agree with you totally. I mean, I, I remember watching this as a kid and loving it, and it held up amazingly well. I agree with you. I think as far as Batman Superman stories, there's not much that, that can beat this. On a couple of levels, I think I, I agree with you totally that it it really struck a, a pretty perfect balance between there's between tension and respect, right? There's tension between these two guys. They both operate very differently. Their mm -hmm. abilities both come from different places, right? Um, but there's also this, and, and and there's also the aspect of, you know, kind of Batman coming onto Superman's turf. Maybe that's another reason why nighttime was so cool, because now you have Superman going into Batman's world. But there's this turf aspect, and we haven't even touched on the Bruce-Lois relationship, which I want to get to in a second. Um, sure. So the, the tension, I think, is very believable. But at the same time, there's also this respect. And it's one of those things where, you know you know, instances, even in, in our own lives where, you know, we might think we might be, you know, like rivals with someone or, but, you know, they might be the only people who really understand, you know, what we're going through. Like we were talking about the, the community of Superman podcasters, right? And it's one of those mm -hmm. things where it's like, again, I've not felt any rivalry and that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But, but it is one of those things where it's like, you know, any fellow Superman podcaster I talk to, like, even if we are in some respect, competing quote unquote for listeners there's also only so many people who know what it's like to plan and host a superman podcast so it's like there's that you know that shared experience right that these two characters have again their methods are different but and they at, at times may be at odds but there's still that that respect and you you know you get you see them get to know each other you know a bit over the course of these three and then the other thing that I was just so impressed by was the structure and the pacing of these three episodes. Like it mm -hmm. did such a good job of blending these two shows and these two characters together so efficiently, 
but effectively. And the pacing was great. And, uh, you know, like we got all the beats that we needed to, to really know, look, we know who Superman and Batman are, but it's like, even if you did it, like you get everything that you need about Superman, Batman, sure. Joker, and Luther, sure. you know, in a, in a pretty short amount of time, but not at the expense of the development or the dialogue or anything like that. I, I was really impressed with how it was constructed. It was very, very well done. Do you know off the top of your uh, head, um, how were these episodes presented originally? So I know like the, we, we've already discussed, I believe in our first mixtape in our first episode, how the premiere was an hour and a half block. Was this originally aired as like an hour and a half event or was this three consecutive Saturdays? Audience, what do you think? audience, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was aired together originally. I believe that makes sense. That makes absolute sense because I think you would lose something if you had that weak kind of space in between, right? Especially as a kid, ostensibly watching it. Um, but because it really is, you're watching a movie essentially is what you're one long movie. And that's uh, when you, when uh, what made that light bulb go off my head is when you said about the pacing, that's exactly what it is. It's like an excellent, excellently paced animated film. Essentially these three episodes is what it combines to, to, you know, probably about an hour length, but still it's, um, it's just great long form storytelling in that episode of itself. And, my biggest pet peeve, one of my biggest biggest pet peeves in, in art and creation is when the villain turns to the protagonist and says, we're not so different, you and I. I just, I never want to hear that line again. This episode does a great job of showing us why Bruce and Clark embody that without telling us. And I think that's a wonderful thing as well. Oh yeah, that's a great yeah. No, well said. Yeah, I mean any obviously any instance right where you can show not tell is is always better. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it it really worked well. You know, obviously in addition to their differing methods, um, you know, there's there's also this wrinkle of the romance between Bruce and Lois. Which progresses, oh yeah. you know, it's funny. And look, I know this is a product of me looking at this with adult eyes, but it's like, man, it, it accelerates real fast. I mean, they <laughs> they go from like- They were going to get engaged. Like they go from one dinner to being yeah. in love and she's going to move to Gotham City. It was like, whoa. Uh, yeah, like they were ready, man. <laughs> it's I mean, what what was your take on on that? Because one, I mean, so the romance in and of itself, I think, was is a bit of an outlier when we're talking about the larger mythology. A um, couple of notes on that, but we, we, we can jump back to that. But a little bit of an outlier. And also, it goes so far as to have Lois find out that Bruce is Batman. You know, oh she doesn't boy. know Clark yeah. is Superman. So that like, that's a whole other dimension. But how did you feel about the Bruce-Lois relationship? I'm of two minds because my first gut, gut, my gut instinct was like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this. But I think also that's because it was the hook, right? It was that hook that really raised that tension. And I'm not, if I'm being fair and objective, I don't know if we get kind of that tension that then leads to respect. If that whole arc plays out as nicely as it does, if we don't kind of have that as an inciting incident, right? As it's Mr. Steal Your Girl. Bruce Wayne, you know, rolling up and, uh, you know, dating Lois and things progressing very, very fast, as you said. Also, I know Bruce is a mastermind and he's always cool as a cucumber. But if an investigative reporter found out my secret identity, I would not handle that as well as he did. And maybe that's why I'm not Batman. 
But my goodness, that seems like it should have been a much bigger deal. Because I know, like, again, he feels like, you know, he, he liked her, maybe loved her. Who knows? Maybe he was doing it to, who knows? I could speculate all day, right? But as we touched upon, this was not a very long period of time where he know her, knew her anyway. It's not like he knew her. It's not like Lana Lang and Clark, right? It's not like they knew each other for years and years and years. I would have been in a panic. My goodness. And that trust, maybe you could argue it's it's alleviated because he knows that Clark is Superman and he'll be there. And maybe he feels that like he'll be there to make sure nobody steps over a line. I don't know. But I was actually really surprised by that reveal that, that she knows and continues to carry on with that knowledge working at a prominent news outlet as well, too. So it's yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I guess like you, I'm of two minds as well. There's that gut reaction of like, this feels wrong. But at the yeah, same time, yes. you know, Bruce Wayne and Lois Lane on paper, like it does make sense. And you also have the 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 chemistry of the voice actors. I think that, you know, kind of helped Phenomenal. that that did help sell it. And, uh, it, you know, we talked about this last time, too, I guess that, you know, the romance is not a huge factor in this animated series. They do touch on it from time to time, but it's not a, a big part of it. So this was I guess I did appreciate that. Um, to to the extent that it at least forced the issue, not that it really went mm-hmm. anywhere, but at least you know right. it kind of brought it up. I, you know, I I appreciated that, and I was doing uh, a little research, and I largely, well, almost entirely, skipped over the New Fifty Two. The you know a few years or a mm-hmm. decade, a few years ago, a decade ago, <laughs> but uh, oh, that that wounded <laughs> me, Anthony. That wounded me gravely to hear you say that. Well, they just, DC just announced that they're doing a Flashpoint sequel that will focus on the Thomas Wayne Batman. And it was like, you know, and the, and the, all the articles, you know, mentioned that it's been over a decade since Flashpoint. It's like, oh, man. but That's unbelievable to me. But, yeah, that's another talk for another day, I suppose. But apparently in the New 52, Lois and Bruce, I think it was brief. And, you know, whether that means one issue or a few issues or I don't know. But they, they, they toyed with a romance with Lois and Bruce and the New 52. And then... Look, I said I was only going to talk about the Snyderverse once, but are you are you familiar at all with, with what Zack Snyder's original plans for Justice League were involving Lois and Bruce? I guess the way I'm phrasing it kind of lets you know where <laughs> what the plans were, but had you heard about any of that? No, I have not. Please continue. So Snyder's original plan for Justice League was that Lois and Bruce would have found comfort in each other following Clark's death at the hands of Doomsday. Mm-hmm. And he would have fathered her child, who in the future would have gone on to become the next Batman. And this was not something that ever made it to 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 film. This was something that, uh, I, and I believe this was Warner Brothers mandating this change, I believe, but it was changed at the script level. So this was not a Snyder Cut thing where he filmed it and, he, and it was nothing like that. This was nixed uh, way earlier. Well before, well before, yeah. Um, but that was... You know, that was where he was going with that. And what do you what do you think about that personally? I'm sorry. I I have to know. This puts me in a tough spot because I love the Snyder stuff. But when I remember reading that, I'm like, this just feels wrong. The bridge too far. Right. It it feels like a bridge too far. You know, uh, I much I do look at the end of the day. I prefer what we got in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, at the same time, like I got to take my own advice, right. And try to keep an open mind. And it's the sort of thing where I, I thought that, and I promise I won't take us on a long tangent here, but 
I, I thought, you know, Lois in Zack Snyder's Justice League didn't have a ton to do. What she did yeah. have, I thought, was effective, and I think it was a compelling depiction of grief. And obviously, she plays a key role in, you know, kind of helping Clark snap out of it once he's brought back mm-hmm. and he doesn't know what's going on. So it was a pivotal role, but she didn't have a ton to do. So, you know, kind of had they played with a Bruce Lois romance, it it would have given her more to do. And look, one of the things that I'm always defending about these movies is that it took a more realistic view of what would happen if these characters were in the world as it exists. And so, I don't know, these two characters finding some sort of solace in each other during this period of time where they think that Clark is gone, if executed properly, you know, it, it might've worked. Again, I'm not shedding any tears over the fact that this got nixed and we went in a different Mm -hmm. direction, but you know, I, I, I won't be so close-minded as to be like, no, there's no way it would have worked. It it would have been a different approach. Um, but again, it would have been Damien. You think the son would have been Damien? <laughs> I don't. I don't know that they. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what. Uh, I don't know if they would have gone that far. But uh, anyway, it's like, and I guess the sort of a similar thing here with with the animated series. It's like there's still just something that feels wrong. About yeah, about but maybe it. that's maybe that's the point, right? Like that's yeah. maybe that's the hook. Yeah. Well, and you know. Uh, we mentioned Smallville a, a couple of times already, but, you know, in that show, you know, they never got to use Bruce Wayne, but they used Oliver Queen and they used Oliver Queen in, I think it's fair to say, virtually all of the ways they would have used Batman. <laughs> yes. Which is why I never really felt all that upset that we didn't get to see Bruce Wayne because I feel like we did. He was just named Oliver Queen and they spent an entire season with Lois and and Oliver in a relationship. So... Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I mean, maybe there is something. Maybe there is something to that, after all. Yeah, maybe. It's you know what? I always applaud people for trying something new, <laughs> and keeping an open mind. So there is something to be said for that. Not not to keep it completely negative. Yeah, you know, for for sure. But um, but in any event, yeah. I mean, and, and again, she goes so far as to as to learn his secret identity, which then there is a nice payoff to that in the um the Demon Reborn episode, where you know. Yeah. Right, Rachel Ghoul, uh, you know, is, is able to, um, you know, basically drain life force from Superman in order to rejuvenate himself. And there's the scene where um, Lois has been knocked out by Talia, and, and Bruce, you know, finds her, and you know, they have a brief exchange before he disappears um, while she's mm-hmm. talking. So kind of a, a jerk move, but uh, I had forgotten that. Again, this is one of those. That was one of those like late in the series episodes, like very was the third to last episode, and I had forgotten about that. Uh, so it was, it was nice to see at least a little bit of follow up with Lois and Bruce in that one. Yeah, again, long form storytelling, right? And that that's one of the things we love the best about the Timverse and all these shows is that that continuity that they really uh, reward long time viewers for. Yes. Uh, going back to World's Finest, there was a, a good segue because there was. Some one thing that we didn't talk about, I don't think, when we talked about kryptonite, but it comes back here. So again, I, I think people are probably familiar with this world's finest arc, but if anyone isn't, right, the Joker comes into possession of this uh, base kryptonite statue uh, and offers to kill Superman uh, for Lex for money, right, because his uh, finances are in disarray and he's mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he's strapped for cash. Uh, and you know, that leads him to Metropolis and Batman follows and puts them all on a collision course. But at a certain point, you know, Joker kidnaps, um, Lois and Superman has to rescue her. And he knows that 
there's kryptonite involved. So he enters this the the scene wearing his lead suit. And that yep. was that was what I don't think we had talked about last time because when we introduce kryptonite, you know, again, Superman builds this or Professor Hamilton builds him this, you know, lead suit so that he's able to withstand its effects. I, I do have a specific take on it, but I want to throw it to you first. How, how do you feel about the lead suit that Superman wears? It's silly. It's a little silly. Just like anytime you say lead suit, just in general, I mean, it's a little bit silly. I understand what they're going for as like a plot device, but yeah, I mean, it's a little, it's a little silly, but on the other flip side, you know, we always talk about how I love Clark's intelligence. It is showcasing that a little bit as well too. He came prepared. So, you know, there, there is that as well. So something to think about from that regard. Yeah. I, it's, it's one of those things where, it makes perfect sense. It's one of those things mm-hmm. where like, okay, if you really think about this, if you know that the one thing that can kill you won't hurt you if it's bound by, if there's lead in between it yeah. and you, well, what's one way to guarantee <laughs> that you'll always have it? You wear it a makes perfect suit. sense in the, yeah, it makes perfect sense in the rules that have been established within that universe. Exactly. But I feel like in yeah. practice, it does feel a bit silly. And then it also sort of, I feel like it begs the question, it's like, well, what are we doing here then? Because it's like, if we, I don't right. know, it's like right. if we want there to be tension, well, then clearly like the lead suit can't be the deciding factor. But so then we need a way to, you know, uh, neutralize the lead suit, which is what happens here, right? Joker uses his acid on it. And then of course, Batman needs to come in and save him. And then Superman ultimately needs to rescue Batman and Lois. Uh, so it's fine. Like it works well enough. I don't, you know, it's, it's not the hill I'm going to die on, but it's just one of those funny things where it really does make sense. I get why they would have done it, but I'm not a huge fan of the lead suit. Yeah, me neither. I agree. Again, I just it's silly. It makes sense within universe, but it just it's 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 silly, I think. It just it's it's a I get why he's doing it and I like that he's prepared and yes, like you said, he has this one thing that would stop him from his greatest weakness. Why wouldn't he do it? But I think you also lose a little bit of the the prestige of Superman when you wrap him in a lead suit, right? A little that's fair to say. Yeah, like there's a little there's a little bit of that. I thought of you watching this uh, uh, this miniseries where, uh, you know, Mercy. We talked about Mercy uh, yeah. uh, in in both of the the prior episodes. She takes quite a beating in this three parter. Yeah, she sure does. She sure does. And uh, Mercy might end up being the unsung hero of this whole series. You know, it might uh, it really and truly. You know, it it might end up being kind of one character that I wouldn't have thought twice about right before watching this show, but one character that really has grown on me and struck a chord with me as, as well too. And again, that long form storytelling, would we have cared about what happened to her throughout these episodes? If we didn't have those prior episodes, the one we talked about in the previous mixtape with, you know, Brainiac, uh, you know, keeping Lex Luthor hostage, but him still leaving mercy for dead and, you know, picking him up off the streets and Superman just being, you know, very saddened by the whole situation. It's great context. And it's funny how we talked about, you know, uh, playing it back to how I think uh, nighttime is better having watched world's finest, it's the same thing where, you know, even though we are doing mixtapes, I think there is a lot to be said for if you are watching certain episodes for that story and that arc with those characters that come before the payoff is just always so much better. Yeah, no, totally. And 
you know, like I said, like she really, you know, she really gets it in this episode at the hands of Harley Quinn. And then, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Batman pays Lex a visit at night while he's sleeping. And, you know, Mercy tries yeah, to, that was cool. which I want to talk about this for a second because, you know, Mercy, you know, tries to, to fight off Batman. And of course he, you know, makes, makes quick work of her, but you know, she, this poor woman is guarding Lex all day and then clearly is also doing it at when does this woman sleep or was she there for a different reason, but she was fully, you know, she was in her bodyguard uniform. So I don't know that there was was outside of the room, right? Yeah. Right. Right. If I remember correctly, she comes in, right. Maybe she comes in and uh, Bruce handles that situation there. But yeah, I mean, but again, that's like that, that unrequited love, you know, that I'm sure Mm -hmm. she is there around the clock for anything he needs at any given time. And it's a, it's such a sad story, isn't it? Yeah. It's just such, Head story. Poor Mercy. Free Mercy. Free. I know. I, I yeah. That's. Uh, I'm curious as we get through the final two mixtapes here, what else might come to light about Mercy? Well, that was you know talk about characters like Harley Quinn who made the jump to the comics. Uh, they would later introduce her in the comics, and there was also Hope as well. There was Hope and Mercy, the two uh, Lexus two bodyguards in the comics. I love at the end of this three-parter where uh, we're, we're out, at, we're at the airfield on the runway and we see Clark watching as Bruce's plane flies away. And yeah. then at the end of the Demon Reborn episode, we get the same setup, but now they're in their costumed identities. Very nice I love that. symmetry with that. I thought that was really cool. Uh, again, rewarding the longtime viewers and the, the payoffs. And uh, we, I think, mentioned this probably in our very first mixtape, but in a show that could have just been an animated cartoon show, Saturday mornings for children, they challenged people of all ages, but I think even specifically younger kids to rise up to that bar to say, Hey, this is good storytelling. This is long form storytelling. And there are such deeper rewards if you pay attention. And that's such a great, great moment. I love that you called that out, that symmetry and also that evolution, right? That kind of evolution, because the first time they're they're Bruce and Clark, but now you know they're Batman and Superman. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember when uh, Warner Brothers WB aired uh, episodes of Batman and Superman back to back in that hour long block, the new Batman Superman Adventures? Yep. And how it had its own opening credits. I'd have to see it again. But I don't. I can't recall it off the top of my head. Is it incredible? It's really, really cool. So it's a different theme that that weaves in elements from the Batman opening and the Superman opening, and you know, obviously imagery from both series, um, and obviously highlights the scenes from World's Finest where they're together. Um, but it's really cool. I looked it up on on YouTube because you know, again, we're watching all these Superman the Animated Series episodes on on HBO Max or on Blu-ray, and you know, we're watching yeah, yeah. that we're watching the dedicated Superman the Animated Series opening sequence over and over and over. But I was like, no, nah, I remember as a kid watching that combined version, and it's really really cool. So if you look up the the new Batman Superman Adventures opening, you, you know, you should find it. But it's the score is gorgeous. It's really really effective, and you actually get a few notes of it in that in that parting sequence from the Demon Reborn. You get like a little little oh, bit I'm, of it. I know what I'm doing when we're done here. That sounds good to me. Yeah, it was it was very very cool. Is there anything else that you want to say about these these Batman episodes before we circle back to uh, to Steel? No, I mean again, watch them. I put them up there with any relationship that they have in comic books or any other medium. Yes, 
All right. Actually, before Steel, I know we touched on a fish story, you know, introducing Aquaman. I, I To be honest, I don't necessarily have a ton to say. Like I said before, I like that, you know, it was, um, you know, it wasn't like doing Aquaman's origin story in the Superman universe. You know, he, he came in and, uh, you know, we, we got this, ten- again, the, the, the traditional depiction, right, I think, or at least in modern times where we have this tension between, uh, you know, the, this, this ocean kingdom and the surface dwellers. Um, but, but I thought it was, it was done well. I know you said it was not though, one of your favorites. No, I mean, it's, I understand Aquaman's perspective. He just came off as just so incredibly antagonistic where really you don't get the idea. I didn't get that same begrudging level of respect. Even the ending was just so abrupt. I felt like with that war breaking out, it was such a hopeless ending and a show that is usually so hopeful. And I think that's maybe why it rubbed me the wrong way. Also, the first time we see Aquaman, he's captured. I mean, come on. You know, it just, and again, that's me being nitpicky, sure. But it's like, you know, I want to see him out there meeting Superman for the first time, already established, like we talked about, doing his thing. You know, that that's what I want to see, have it more organically. But this, it just, there, was, there wasn't anything that, and Arthur is such a difficult character, right? And I actually have my own thoughts on Jason Moma as Aquaman as well, too, that I won't get into to too much here. But um, he's such a difficult character. And I think there's a lot of good and a lot of awesome stories to be told with that character. But I feel like here it was just surface dwellers bad. Let's fight. And I didn't get any of that humanity, that kind of common ground that gives Superman that kind of room to inspire and talk and, okay, let's figure this out. He tries a little bit when he says, oh, they're not all like that. But then just a war breaks out and proves him wrong anyway. It just was such a hopeless situation. It was very depressing to me. No, that honestly, that is fair. I, I think, I think for me, a lot of this came down to the fact, sad to say, but maybe this kind of piggybacks off of what you were saying. I'm not a huge Aquaman fan and I never have been. I don't dislike the character, but there have been sure. very few instances where I've really found Aquaman compelling. That's why, you know, I, I I am a huge fan of Flash and Green Lantern. So those episodes, I was, I was a little bit more kind of, you know, zeroing in on what they were doing. And I had, you know, I felt a certain way about how those characters were presented. Whereas with Aquaman and, you know, I'm happy to hear your thoughts on Jason Momoa. For me, that was, I'm trying to think, even as much as I love Smallville, I wasn't, I wasn't all that taken with their, their version of Aquaman. He was solid, but I wasn't like, oh, I'm an Aquaman fan now. Watching Jason Momoa in, in, in the Snyderverse and in his solo movie was probably the first time where I was like, oh, okay, like I, I get, I get Aquaman. Like I can get on board with this version. I did also read the Jeff Johns and new 52, um, run on the, on that title. And I actually quite liked that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, like I'm not a big Aquaman guy. So that's why maybe I didn't, I wasn't as invested and I didn't feel as strongly. Yeah, fair enough. And so I love Jason Momoa. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan as well too. And I thought he's a lot of fun in those movies, but I felt like I was just watching Jason Momoa and not Aquaman. Okay. And again, as we talked about before, every interpretation of a character is valid, but I felt like I was just watching Jason Momoa and there was a part of it that was missing for me, at least in terms of how he was again relating to to other characters. And I guess maybe that's that's not necessarily his fault. Maybe it's not even this this episode's a, a fish tale. Maybe that's not necessarily different. Maybe it's just it's very difficult to have Aquaman relate 
to his fellow characters. Maybe that's an inherently difficult thing to to accomplish and do. But I I feel like that there are there are good stories to be. You know, I'm not the biggest Aquaman fan either. You know, I think there are plenty of good stories. I've enjoyed some stuff. There's a story too called Once in Future uh, that I actually really enjoyed as well too. Um, but yeah, I just you have to work a little harder, I think, to find that humanity. And that common ground of somebody who is of two worlds, and that's just it. I just did it right there. You know, that's how you have him and Superman connect. They're both of two worlds, right? Yeah. I wish we could focus on something like that. You know, again, how I hate people say we're not so different, you and I, but show it. Show it. Be like, hey, I understand what it's like to be here, but also not be from here. And what a difficult thing and how to wrestle with that. Your conflict's external. Mine is mostly internal, although Brainiac does make it external as well, too, as we've touched upon. But uh, I would love to see maybe just, just more of a common ground for something to relate to, to be like, you know what? I hope next time we see art, I hope maybe they can settle their differences for a greater good together. Maybe they can come together at some point. Give me something to hold on to, a little bit of hope. You know, I, you know you're right. I mean, I think that was a missed opportunity. And, you know... It's funny because I maybe this is even though I wouldn't have wanted them to necessarily do like again turn Aquaman's origin story into a Superman episode like they did with Green Lantern, but maybe if we, but more particularly Superman had gotten, you know whether they whether he learned it in this episode or he kind of they had already had some sort of past and he already knew this, but if Superman mm -hmm. knew some of the backstory, you know the fact that that Arthur is of two worlds like like Superman is, that would have opened up a space to have a moment like that. Uh, because I agree with you. I mean, I think that is, that is where those two characters could find common ground. And, you know, you know, we just didn't get any of that. So, so I, I again, I, I think your point, your point is well taken. And again, going back to the Jason Momoa Aquaman, I, I guess like that's sort of the thing. Like I love him as the character, but it's also one of those things where, well, once he's not playing the character, am I an Aquaman fan or was I really just a Jason Momoa as Aquaman fan? And, and if it's, right, the, if it's right. the latter, which is fine, right. If Don't it's get me latter, wrong. like, that's fine, but right. It's like, it didn't necessarily make me a fan of the character. And I don't, I don't know if I can answer that, you know, at, at, at this exact point in time, but yeah, I think what really, what that episode needed really more than Arthur backstory, anything like that. It was really more time with Jimmy Olsen trying to park Lois's car. I really feel like that was the, oh, best, was the best part of the episode, don't you think? Well, I'm 100%. Relatable, relatable, relatable. I loved it. <laughs> your, your screen has frozen, but I can still hear you. So as long as you can hear me, I, I think we're, we're still good to, to rock on here. I'm trying to get my uh, my phone to charge is what I'm also trying to do. Ah, fair enough. Well, while you work on that, uh, let's jump to the, uh, the the final two episodes here, and not final in terms of um, episode order slash air date, but just in terms of, uh, you know, what, what you and I are, are talking about, sort of uh, categorizing these DCU team-ups, right? We have the Batman, the larger DC universe, and then, you know, Steel, I think, kind of can be in his own category because he is part of the larger DC universe, but he is a dedicated Superman supporting cast member in the comics and the show. So I think Steel is kind of in his own, uh, you know, little category here. And there are two episodes that feature the character of John Henry Irons, uh, Prototype and Heavy Metal. So in Prototype, we have this um, SCU, you know, police officer who dons this suit of armor designed by John Henry Irons, who at this point in time works for Lex Luthor. 
And, uh, you know, initially starts off great, but the suit and its uh, neurological uh, connection to the to Corey Mills, uh, the officer, starts to corrupt his mind and he gets drunk with power. And, you know, of course, Superman has to has to stop him. But, you know, it ends and you, you had you had touched on this earlier, I believe, with, you know, Superman yes. talking to John Henry about how, you know, in theory, the idea of having some backup, having some help is a positive thing. Like he would welcome that. And so, you know, we end that episode. I love that. It's a, it's this great note to end on where, you know, we see the wheels are turning, you know, in John Henry's mind. And so obviously, you know, this take on the character is wholly divorced from the comic book origin where he, you know, rises in the, in the wake of Superman's death and was inspired by Superman and dons the suit of armor to carry on his memory. Obviously we don't have any of that, but I was, I was just happy to see John Henry Irons I think I was excited initially, but especially now, having recently revisited that that entire period of the death and return and, and rain and everything, like it was, I was so I was very very happy to see John Henry Irons. Uh, a standout from the entire series thus far from me, and just even if you weren't familiar, and uh, I I think he is such an interesting character. Of course, coming out of such a formative event for you with the death of Superman and and spinning all of that in the in the comics as well. Even if you had no comic or former uh, knowledge of the character, I you again, you could watch these two episodes, root for him, understand who he is, understand his motivation. And not only that, it's such a great lens for Superman as well, too. Because like you said, yeah, you know, even though he's Superman, Metropolis and the world, very big place, very, very big place. And I like the idea that Superman doesn't have to do it alone. But he also doesn't want to do it alone. And I think that's such an important part as well, too. And I already touched upon their their handshake and his thank you was a high point so far for me in the uh, the entire run. I mean, what a beautiful moment, a beautiful moment between uh, between two two wonderful characters. Yeah, it was very, very cool. You know, in the prototype episode. Uh, but it's funny. People will hear this when they hear my wish list, my Smallville wish list episode with Zach Moore that I had talked about earlier in a, in a few weeks. But it, it always bugged. It, I feel like a missed opportunity on Smallville was introducing John Henry Irons as someone who worked for Lex. Like we, you know, they just never use the character on the show. But I feel like what the animated series did was a, like a perfect way uh, into the character again without getting into the whole you know death and rain and, and all of that business. Uh, but yep. but I really I enjoyed all of that. I, this is a little nitpicky, I guess, especially for a Saturday morning kid show, but it would have been interesting in the prototype episode with Corey Mills if his descent had been a little bit more psychological and nuanced instead of like the suit just drove him crazy. Like, I feel like it yep. would have been interesting to see a little bit more of him just getting drunk on the power and on, you know, the, the, the adoration of the crowd, you know, they do that's there. Um, but I think a lot of this kind of boils down to just the suit and its its connection to his mind. And I would have preferred it if it had been a little bit more, um, you know, internal as opposed to the suit doing it. I agree. I agree. And again, I wonder how much of that is, again, it's the, maybe the time constraints as well, too, that, that they do have. But is that kind of a, like I said in a previous episode that I got a wonderful shout out for from, uh, you know, always hold on to a uh, to Smallville uh, about being Black Mirror, like I'm Black Mirror-ish. This is the same kind of like dread body horror that I love, right? It's just, you know, you, you take this thing that's supposed to be great and you twist it and you turn it to something ugly. Um, and I, I love that story. And he really does a number on Superman, huh? 
I did not expect him to like, you know, he blinds him. He really gives him a run for his money here. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Side note, you're still totally frozen. Are you, do you see yourself as moving on your screen? Cause you're still nope. frozen on mine. Not at all. And I'm losing battery power too. It's a, it's the wild west over here, Anthony, you know? Oh my goodness. Cause I know you were trying to charge it, but you were not able to. So I, it was charging. Now it says it's charging, but it's still rapidly descending, which right. I hope isn't a metaphor for my current situation in general. But, no, all know. right. Well, uh, we're, we're nearing the end in any event. So yeah, I agree with you. He really, like he really, uh, uh, you know, gives, gives Superman a hard time. And where the, yeah, the scene where he blinds him, I was like, wow, like they're really like really putting Superman through his paces here. Um, and it was interesting, yeah. but going back to what we said in a prior episode, you know, this is a, a depowered version of the character and, you know, you, which I think allows you to do an episode like this where I feel like in other incarnations, him battling, you know, a, a police officer in a suit, like really wouldn't pose much of a challenge, but here it does. And, you know, especially when he is blinded um, and you see the physical representation of that, like his eyes are blasted and they're, you know, they're, you know, they're, yeah. they're dark and you, you even see like from his perspective, kind of how he's not able to see or get his senses or, you know, orientation. It's, it was actually a pretty intense fight, much more so than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It really rings his bell. Um, so again, you know, we end on this, this promise of like, oh, John Henry, you know, you know, might, you know, kind of, uh, you know, heed Superman's, uh, you know, wish. Right. And, and, uh, and, and he does in the heavy metal episode, uh, you yeah. know, we begin with him creating, you know, forging this suit of armor. I tell you, man, the only thing missing was the soundtrack, this the theme, the score from the Steel movie with Shaq. That was the only thing that I think would have really brought this episode over the top. If they, I, I you know what? <laughs> so actually, where does that fall on the timeline? Does this come before that movie or after? Oh man, it's right around. It's right. I mean, because the animated series was ninety six to two thousand, and the movie was ninety seven. Right. So I mean, yeah. I, this episode probably was after, but very close after. So that would have been perfect tie-in as well, too. Who knows? That might have even been a motivation. So that, that would have been awesome. They could have had the theme mixed in as well, man. I know. Um, but so it was, you know, it was awesome to see. You know, I loved, and, you know, look, Ken Marion and I, we did a, two hours on the Steel movie. You know, we're, we're and I know you're a fellow fan as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was really cool to, and as a fan of the Reign of the Superman, it was so cool to see John Henry Irons. Again, my only real regret with this episode was that we didn't see him again on the show. You know, it sets him up as this ally, this friend, and that was it. He should have been a, a solid reoccurring character for sure. It's, um, I, I, the cheat is, of course, we do see him a little bit down the road in Justice League Unlimited and, and everything. But yeah, I would have loved to have seen him been a daily, daily uh, a regular-ish, even for a check-in or a quick few minutes maybe at the start of an episode of them teaming up together would have been a nice nod. Yeah. And of course, like you said before, we do find out, uh, you know, Metallo is our antagonist. Um, you don't find that out until a little bit into the episode. Surprise. Right? We, he's using that brain again, Anthony, disguised as a police officer. Oops, pow, surprise, sucker punch to Superman. You love to see it. Yeah, no, it's great. And well, you know, it's funny though, that brings me to, uh, so anyway, I thought that was an effective use of Metallo. I know I said in the last episode, you know, I, I do agree with you. I think this is the best version of Metallo, still not my favorite Superman villain, but I do appreciate these episodes like this one and Superman's pal where it's a surprise, right? Even if sometimes the episode description gives it away, but you know, where as you start to watch the episode, you don't know exactly, you know, what, what role he'll play or when he'll enter the picture. I think that's an effective way to use Metallo. But at the beginning of the episode, we have these, uh, these bank robberies that, uh, you know, have, have, have not been solved yet. And we have Bibbo 
Babowski on the news. I believe that's that's the same episode, you know, talking about what he saw. And I just wanted to mention Bibbo because I don't think he really came up when we did our prior episode on the supporting cast. I love Bibbo, and he was a prominent supporting cast member from the triangle, the entire triangle era of the comics. And well, except for the final few years, once Jeff Loeb and Joe Kelly took over, uh, he kind of went to the to the sidelines. But I wish they hadn't made him as mentally deficient as as they did. I mean they they really made him sure. a, they really made him a punchline. And you know, fair enough, I suppose. But you know, you look at the comic book version, and you know, no, he's not necessarily uh, uh, you know. Uh, a great intellectual, <laughs> but he has this very pure heart. You know, there's this whole run in the comics where he wins the lottery and the only thing he does with all the money is help the people in the neighborhood in suicide slum. So he's a very kind hearted character. And, uh, I, I feel like you don't really get that. It's, it's, he's really used more for, uh, for, for jokes here and, uh, is like barely functioning, you know, as he's presented in here. Yeah. So I thought they did him a little disservice. Especially in a show that focuses so much on uh, the heart and the power of humanity and and people as well, it definitely seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah, for sure. But uh, but I enjoyed that pair of episodes a lot. Um, and uh, like I said, it was really cool. It was cool to see Steel. If the worst thing I could say about those episodes is that we didn't see him again. But I thought within the context, yeah. uh, it was cool. And we got Natasha, the niece. You know, they they worked her in as well. They yeah. referenced the grandmother. I mean, it really, I, you know, they got I, everybody got time to shine, which they, was cool. They really had the ingredients. So we've covered all of the episodes. We're fast approaching the two-hour mark. Your phone is dying. I, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Is there anything else that you want to say about um, about these DCU team-up episodes? I'm I'm maximum effort tonight. Tonight was maximum effort, full send. Um, <laughs> I love these episodes in general, even the ones that I might not like as more. And a lot of that, and this is a cheating, cheating answer when you know that eventually we are going to get Justice League, it's so cool to kind of see the genesis of that from the ground up. And so I'll leave everybody with that. And again, to bring it home to my full, real, put a bow on everything point to these episodes is that they are, these characters are fantastic heroes in their own right. But on Superman's show, the best episodes are when they help as a lens to show who Superman is and how he inspires everyone else. Well said, my friend. The last thing I'll say in parting, um, just to you know, sort of circle back to the way we're watching, and I know this has come up in, in both of the prior two episodes, but it really has been immensely rewarding to do this rewatch mixtape style because especially taking these team-up episodes, you do sort of get like a little proto-Justice League run yeah, for sure. You know, it's really cool. To, it's really cool to see, and uh, it's making me itching and excited to take a peek down the road at Justice League. To be honest with you, but you probably already knew that's where my mind was going. We'll get there. Don't we'll get there. I've I've already mapped out some stuff for the future. Well, you and I will talk uh, off off mic, <laughs> but uh, I believe that completely. But yeah, no, watching it this way was really cool, and you know, I think for the most part. I think you and I both landed more or less on the side of, you know, really enjoying the vast majority of these episodes and, you know, even ones that might not have been our favorite, like Speed Demons or, or Fish Story or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I do really still appreciate the fact that we got them in the first place. 
Uh, you know, going yeah. back to what we said before, like at the time, this was a big deal to see these characters team up. And, you know, even an episode like Speed Demons that maybe, you know, wasn't the most, you know, in depth, it still was, a you know, a, an effective, faithful presentation of the character. It put them together in a, in a, in a classic fashion uh, and allowed for, you know, a, a fun episode. And so, again, even the weaker ones within these team-ups uh, still had something to offer and laid the groundwork for what was to come. So this was a, a great run of episodes. And for anyone who hasn't watched some or all of them, or if you haven't watched them in a while, they're, they're definitely worth a rewatch. It's important to remember, too, uh, to contextualize everything, that for an entire generation of people and fans, this is their first time, most likely, seeing these heroes outside of a comic book. And that's really cool, and that's really special. Indeed. Even if you came away from it thinking that Green Lantern was a Superman supporting cast member, that's all good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> at least it's an experience. At least I got to see them in action. So you're, I think you're right. Even uh, if they weren't our favorites and we would have liked to have seen things a little different, they're historic and worthy in their own right. Indeed. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you to the audience. Make sure that you come back in one week uh, for our next mixtape. We will be discussing episodes dealing with the villains, the rogues gallery. Uh, it'll be a real fun mix of episodes and I'm sure we'll have a fun discussion. So we'll have that for you in one week. And until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My exclusive Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman rewatch podcast is available now at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available too including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. All pledges come with a money-back guarantee. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.